helplessly hoping. Her harlequin hovers nearby, awaiting a word. Gasping at glimpses of gentle true spirit, he runs, wishing he could fly, only to trip at the sound of goodbye. Wordlessly watching, he waits by the window and he wonders at the empty place inside. Heartlessly helping himself to her bad dreams, he worries. Did he hear a goodbye or even hello? Stand by the stairway and you'll see something certain to tell you that confusion has its cost. Love isn't lying, it's loose in a lady who lingers, saying she is lost and choking on hello. That is the song Helplessly Hoping by Crosby, Stills, and Nash, 1969. And I think that we wouldn't have such lyrics or songs or even films, books, poetry, art, if love were an easy thing. Amen? Like when you listen to like blues music, you get the indication that something is wrong with the way we're trying to love. When my son was young, he asked me the question. We were listening to uh, Led Zeppelin, of course. And, um, you know, the whole line in Dazed of Confused where Robert Plant says, the soul of a woman was created below. It's like, what does that mean? I was like, you will one day know. But for now, just enjoy the beat. But as it is between lovers, between friends, between families, even just between church people, love is a very difficult thing. And in the text that Tana read for us this morning, it's the one thing missing from the Apostle Paul's description of love, which is that love is hard. Amen? Love is not easy. I've done so many weddings as a pastor, and almost all of them uh, request of me to use that passage in their wedding because it, to the couple, indicates the kind of love that they have for one another. Such a rookie mistake. (laughs) Never lead with that in your marriage. Always lead with, I'm going to do the best I can. But they always ask for that passage. But when you read it closely... It's basically a running list of all the ways you're going to fail and all the ways that I'm going to fail in this thing that we call love. And this picture of love between people that Paul presents is just too, it's too difficult. We are sometimes some of those things, but we are never always all of those things. It's too hard. Now that text, by the way, is not just for married couples. In fact, that's not even the context of the letter. The love that Paul describes here is for all of us, for you and for me to look at very closely and to imagine what the implications are if a love like that actually had breath in our lives and in our world. It focuses on the nature of love, but also on a very specific kind of love and the calling to live out a life that is somewhat animated by that love. Now, the background of Paul's passage here is quite interesting. Have you ever gotten an email um, where the subject line only says thoughts? 
Have you received one of those before? Or some thoughts. Usually this comes after you have done something, like maybe you led a project at work or you put on an event or whatever. You proposed something. And then this email comes from a coworker or a higher up or just, in my case, one of you. <laughs> and it says, thoughts. You know what's coming, right? At the, at the best case scenario, what you're going to get is some mild critique of whatever it is that you said or did or provided. Just some mild critique. At worst, just straight ahead personal criticism. It's always bad when you open it and there's bullet points. Like you're like, man, they've made a list about me. It's really sort of troubling. Uh, maybe get some help on that, by the way, if that's you. Um, <laughs> when Jesus, when uh, the disciples asked Jesus, how, how often should we forgive those who sin against us? Seven times? And Jesus says, depending on the translation you read, 70 times seven. Now, some disciple went, okay, that's... But the point Jesus is making is if you're counting that high, then you have the problem, you know? This is the 400th time you've sinned against me. Thoughts. Now, when the Corinthian church received a letter from Paul, uh, I picture the envelope saying, some thoughts. Because if you read all of 1 Corinthians and most of 2 Corinthians... Paul is genuinely laying into them about some issues they need to work through. And what's happening in uh, that church and within the letter, you can see this, there are just relational problems. But it would be weird to get that email and in the very middle of the criticism that you're receiving, that the writer of that email would drop in this poem about the nature of love. Isn't that weird? And this is exactly what Paul does. Read on either side of this passage and what you find is discomfort and stress. The background is conflict. Uh, Categorizations are happening in the church. There's labels being made for certain kinds of people. There's divisions that are happening in this community. There's tension, even hatred, hierarchy. And so Paul addresses that, but then he drops in this like, picture this in the midst of this turmoil Paul offers these words that love is patient and kind etc and it's a call to consider deeply uh, what the alternative realm would look like if those things like conflict and categorizations and hatred and so on lose their power like what does the world look like in that kind of setting Paul could have chosen from several Greek words uh, when he is talking about love. There are several, but he chose the word agape. When you look at the Greek text of this passage, this is the word you see throughout. Greek is a more compartmentalized language. There's more options for words. You get more meaning out of that. There's more options to describe things. When we talk about love, it can be sort of interesting because in our culture, we tend to flatten out words because they mean so many different things to us, especially when we talk about love, because I could say, I love you so much, but I also love pizza. It's the same word. I love my wife and my children. I love the Grateful Dead. 
which one gets more attention, it's hard to say in our language. But in the Greek language, they have little compartments for this, and certain words for love mean certain things, and they hear it, and they go, okay, that's a totally different situation than love for spouse and love for pizza. Those are two different kinds of love. And so when we talk about love, it tends to get flattened. But Paul chose the word agape. And this is a word that the ancient philosophers and writers of the Bible used to describe like the highest form of love. Because agape is a kind of love, and I want you to catch this, it doesn't even need a reason to love. It is its own reason. It's its own antecedent. Agape is unaware that love even has rules. The main rule is that you and I have to deserve it. Or worse, we have to earn it. Agape in the ancient mind is the kind of love that just loves anyway. It's very strange. The ancients would wonder, if there was a love that wasn't based on outer beauty or performance in life or on status and culture or even on morality, if there was a love like that and that people could experience that sort of love without any conditions, then that is the highest form of love which would lead people then to say, it's not possible. It's not possible. But the writers of the Bible believed that God is that kind of love. He is the very existence of that kind of love. He's, he gives us glimpses of this. One writer of the New Testament put it this way, that God is agape. He is Love, And into a very difficult relational situation where people are falling apart, where people are at each other's throats, Paul drops these words in, in this reminder of the sort of love that God has for them. Now, the real sleight of hand in what Paul is doing is he's putting these words in there to remember that this sort of love is for all people. What we typically do is assume that we are on the right side of whatever. And yet Paul inserts this word for love and this picture of love in a community and saying, actually, whether you think people deserve it or not, God loves them the same. Amen? It's difficult to understand. It doesn't make sense to our scorekeeping ways. It's also quite offensive. They don't deserve it. And then Paul says a few things here that I think are really worth reflecting on. He says that love, this kind of love, this agape, never ends. It never ends. The literal translation there is that it never falls. It's beautiful. Something quite remarkable resides in these words here. When Paul says it never ends, and he lists things, prophecies, they end, this ends, that ends, creation itself, love never falls. That the direction of creation and history and existence itself, Paul is saying, is agape. That's where it's going. The place where God is taking all things is to a place where the world is finally at a resting place in the safety of such a love between everything and everyone. So for Paul, love, this kind of love, is the destination 
of all things. The course I teach uh, at Point University is everybody's first theology course. And um, my job is to teach them the whole storyline of the Bible in 16 weeks. Uh, I say this multiple times in the semester. I'm sorry that none of this makes sense, but we have to move on. But the thing I say at the beginning and in the middle and at the end of the semester is simply that the story of the Bible is the story of God bringing all things into a place of new creation and that it is placed on the foundation of his love. Love is all that is left in the end. Even faith and hope, he says. He says, faith, hope, and love. These are all great things, but the greatest of these is love. As if to say one day, even the two massive joys of hope and faith become obsolete. And we have arrived where God has been taking things all along, this place where love resides. What's left behind at the end of time, so to speak, is not desolation or sadness or condemnation or any other frightening image that maybe you grew up with. What remains is love. And so what is heaven? Is it all of creation functioning at last within the framework of this kind of love? Is that what heaven is? Is it when all of our weapons of war and tension and hatred are finally laid down? Is that what it is? Or as the prophet Isaiah said, is it when our swords are beaten into plows? The suggestion here in this passage is that we not only look forward to that day, but that we begin to learn the ways of this sort of love here and now. Because, as you know, hate is not working. Let me say that again. Hate is not working. Amen? Some of you are like, amen. (laughs) I get it. Now, let me qualify this. Hate does work. It's its own end. It, It works to itself. Whatever it is that you're doing with hate, whatever I'm doing with hate, it works. But in the economy of God, it's bankrupt. It doesn't work. And I would contend that if we step back and look at the world, it's not working. Hate is not a thing that is taking us anywhere good. The biblical scholar N.T. Wright says this, that love is the language they speak in the new creation. And we get to learn it while we're here. And so as we come around this passage today, it's very hard to talk about this kind of passage without making it yet another list of things that you and I can't live up to. So I didn't want to do that. I think what Paul is doing here is saying, I want to show you what it's supposed to look like. I want to show you where all things are headed. And I want to encourage you without making it another law for your life. I want to encourage you to practice this as best you can. As I said earlier on in the message, we are sometimes some of these things. We are never always all of these things. But we can, with God's grace and guidance and vision, practice these things while we have breath. Amen? And so what I want to do is close... um, with the prayer attributed to St. Francis. It's on the front of your bulletin. You can follow along. 
But this prayer attributed to St. Francis, we've prayed many times through the years in, uh, in our worship settings, and it's such a beautiful uh, picture of what I think Paul was saying. And so I'm going to read this to you. You don't need to pray it with me, but just follow along. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Angels got married, haven't been a minute apart. But to receive all in my hand and religion in my heart, I can ring him up easy. Ah, oh, well, ring him up easy. Don't make a mark. Don't make a mind.